All right, so we continue in this series, this narrative lectionary series. We're back in the Gospel of Mark. We've been plugging away through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we are in chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, and we have a rather lengthy passage this morning. So if you want to follow along, it's Mark 10, chapter 32. We're going to read through uh, verse 32. We're going to read through verse 52. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible, the CEB. Jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem with Jesus in the lead. The disciples were amazed while the others followed, following behind were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he told them what was about to happen to him. Look, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The human one, or the son of man, will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise up. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive, but to sit at my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around, but that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one or son of man didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They called the blind man, be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. You pray with me. Loving God, I pray that you, during this time, would be with us. That your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us during this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. So I want to do three things this morning with this lengthy text. 
Three things. First of all, I want to go a little bit Bible geeky on you. I want to be kind of a Bible nerd for a little bit and show you a little something about the way that this text is set up. And then I want to break down the text a little bit and go through it, open some things up, uh, if you will. And then I want to focus at the end on this, this question, this question that is so important that it's asked twice in this text. And it's two very different responses. So let's start out with me putting on my Bible nerd hat. There's something that's kind of cool that happens in chapters 8 and 9 and 10 of Mark's gospel. There's a pattern that develops in 8, 9, and 10. It repeats itself. And it goes like this. It starts with Jesus predicting his death. It's called a passion prediction. We refer to the death of Jesus on the cross as the passion of Christ. And so he will predict what's going to happen to him. And then sure enough, there's a misunderstanding on the part of the disciples. They don't get it. They get confused. They don't know what's going on. They mess something up. And then Jesus has to pull them aside and give them a lesson about what it means to be authentic disciples. That happens in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. What's really curious is that those three, that pattern that happens three times, it's bookended by two accounts of Jesus healing a blind person. So we start out with the healing of a blind person, then this pattern happens, and it happens again, it happens again, and then we get the end of our text for today, which is the healing of Bartimaeus. Now there's some intentionality that's happening there. Mark is trying to show us something. Jules will remind us, whenever we see patterns or we see things repeat, we need to pay attention. And it's almost like he's trying to say something about sight and blindness, that there's some kind of metaphor in there. But I'm going to put a pin in that for now. We'll come back to talking about Bartimaeus. But first, I want to get back to this particular version of that pattern, that cycle that I talked about. This particular version of Jesus' passion prediction is particularly detailed, and it's also pretty doggone brutal. It's pretty intense. We read there in 33 and 34, again, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the human one or son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and legal experts They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit on him, torture him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise up. He makes it the clearest that he has in all of these predictions that when they reach their destination in Jerusalem, it's not going to be pretty. In fact, things are going to get really dark. And ugly. And yet, did you notice the disciples' response? I think the disciples' response is almost comical, almost farcical how bad it is. The disciples' response to this terrible prediction of what's going to happen to Jesus. Right after Jesus says, He'll be ridiculed, spit on, tortured, and killed. Next thing we know, James and John come up and say, um, yeah, 
Totally hear you on all that. We need something from you. James and John, these sons of Zebedee, sometimes called the sons of thunder. This morning, I think we should refer to them as the Bumblehead brothers. (laughs) Basically, they come to Jesus and they say, totally hear you on this, um, on what's going to happen to you. But here's what we need. Um, When the time comes for you to become the big cheese, when you get put in charge, we know that's coming. When that happens, uh, the two of us, we want to be the top dogs right there with you. We want to be one of us on the right and one of us on the left. You choose which one, but the two of us want to have the top spots. Can you make that happen for us? And Jesus responds, you, you don't even know what you're asking, right? This is after he's asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? They come to Jesus and they say, give us whatever you want. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the response is this request. And Jesus might as well have said, when he says, you don't know what you're asking, he might as well have said, are are you blind? Are you deaf? Haven't you been hearing and seeing what I've been saying and doing? And he takes it a step further and he says, can you drink the cup that I drink? Or receive the baptism that I receive. And he's clearly referring here to this death that's coming. The cup is a reference to the cup that he will bear that is his his death. And ultimately, that's baptism as well. is a reference to his death and resurrection. The going down beneath the waters and coming back up. Clear reference to the fact that he is going to die. And he says, fellas, you sure you're up for it? And the Bumblehead brothers look back at him and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever, we got this, whatever it takes, just we're one and two, right? Yeah. And Jesus responds with what I think is the verbal equivalent of the combination of the eye rolling emoji and the forehead smacking emoji when he says, yeah, fellas. You're going to endure what I endure, predicting what will eventually happen to them. But those power positions, they're not mine to give. I can't do that for you. And then just to add to this this farce, the the cringeworthiness of this particular scene, the rest of the disciples hear about what James and John have been up to, and and they get upset. They're probably harumping and grumbling and, and saying to one, what about me? What about, where is my place in this hierarchy? What about my position? What are these two guys? What are they doing asking this question? And then Jesus calls them all over. I like to imagine like a coach with his players calls them all over and says, hey, come on, fellas. Everybody take a knee. Take a knee here. And he tells them again that they need to check their privilege at the door. And he tells them again that the kingdom of God is going to look a lot different than the hierarchical reality that they're surrounded by. And he tells them again that they must become like servants if they actually want to be great. And he basically says, this, fellas, this is what authentic discipleship looks like. Now, as much as I want to give the disciples a lot of grief about their continued dullness about what Jesus is getting at, I really can't blame them. 
After all, they've been steeped in a culture where the Roman Empire has shown time and time again that power and influence are all about privilege, privilege gained by continuing to marginalize and oppress others. And they've seen their own religious leaders sidle up to those in power, even willing to bend and twist their own religious ethics in order to rise in power and influence alongside the oppressors. The only way they know to attain glory is through privilege. And they believe Jesus has the power to bestow that privilege on them. Thankfully, the notion of religious leaders who are willing to sidle up to powerful political forces and bend and twist religious ethics in order to rise in power and influence is a thing of the past, right? Said the sarcastic preacher with tongue firmly planted in his cheek. I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we all are tempted to some degree by power and privilege. It might look different for each of us, but we all can fall victim to that temptation. We all have some degree of ego. I certainly do. And we can be tempted to abandon our values in order to feed that ego and attain that power and privilege. Or when it comes to someone like me, a white, straight, cisgendered, college-educated male, to keep and maintain the privilege that comes from just being me. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. you got to check that ego. You've got to check that privilege. You, you need to be willing to let that privilege die. You have to die to that kind of privilege. And the Apostle Paul points out how Jesus did just that. In the famous hymn that he writes to the church in Philippi while he was in prison, he writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. I'll say this as just a little aside. And I don't know what Bible scholars would say about this, but I wonder when Jesus says, those two places, my right and my left, they're not for me, they're for those for whom they've been prepared. In my mind, I immediately go to that cross and to the fact that there was one on his right and one on his left. I don't know, it's just where I go. Mark's gospel then illustrates this point of the need for humility beautifully by telling the story of Bartimaeus, a blind beggar by the roadside, who probably shouted all sorts of things to folks. I can imagine that throughout his day, he's shouting out into the darkness. For him, it would be darkness, begging people for, for just their attention for some money if they could spare it, for some kind of help to just be treated like a human being. Probably so often that folks had gotten used to ignoring him. 
And when he hears that, that this Jesus that he's no doubt heard of is going to pass by, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. And the crowd, of course, tells him, shut up. Bartimaeus, knock it off. Not now. This is Jesus. Leave him alone. He doesn't have time for this. And what I imagine is, is just pure desperation. He shouts out even louder, have mercy on me. And then Jesus does what we've seen him do so many times in Mark's gospel when it comes to vulnerable people. We think about the woman with the bleeding issue who touches his robe and he senses that she's there and he stops. He stops. And he pays attention to her and he cares for her and heals her. We think about these people bringing children to them, to him. And, and they're like, don't bring these kids. Don't bother Jesus with these kids. But these, these little, vulnerable, sweet, precious children, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Bring them. Bring them. And in fact, you need to become like them. And he pays them attention. He stops what he's doing. He stops where he's going. It's almost like something in his spirit is telling him that this person, these people need him. This person needs what he has to offer. And so Jesus says of Bartimaeus, tell him to come here. And then we get the question again. The same question, the exact same words that he asked the Bumblehead brothers. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Again, Jules always reminds us that when we see something repeated in Scripture, we need to pay attention to it because it usually, usually means it's important. And in this case, the importance of that question has to do with the response. And it has to do with what is the impetus for that question, what motivates that question. In this case, Bartimaeus isn't looking to feed his ego or for any kind of position of power Instead, he just asked to see. Open my eyes, let me see. And Jesus, in that moment, heals him. It says, your faith has healed you. Get up, go. And we're told that Bartimaeus, once healed, follows Jesus. An early Christian tradition tells us that Bartimaeus continued to follow Jesus all the way to the cross and eventually became a major figure in the early Christian church. Jules and I titled this sermon series, Stop, Collaborate, and Listen, which, if you haven't figured out by now, is actually a lyric from an old rap song from, 90, from 1990s icon, Vanilla Ice. It's a lyric from Ice Ice Baby. And we called this series this because we like to have a little bit of fun, but also because it's pretty much exactly what we are encouraged to do in this season of Lent. And it's what we see Jesus do in these moments, in this moment with Bartimaeus. Lent is a season to stop what we're doing in our busy lives. To 
to stop, to have our schedules disrupted, to be slowed down enough to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. That very Spirit of God that was within Jesus is within each and every one of us. But so often we aren't paying attention because we're too busy going and going and going. And Lent is a season where we're invited to tune into that spirit by stopping. To collaborate with that spirit of God that's present within us. And to listen to what the spirit is moving us to say or to do. The challenge of this question for this morning, this question, what do you want me to do for you? The challenge is, we as the body of Christ, as the hands and feet of Christ now, we're the ones who are called to ask that question. We're the ones to be asking that question now. And so, my encouragement for us this morning as we continue in this season of Lent is to stop, to seek to collaborate with the Spirit, what the Spirit is moving us to do, and to pay attention to the needs of others, to ask, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? This means we do have to be be willing to humble ourselves, be willing to check our ego, check our privilege, to ask, what can I do for you? I'll be honest, this isn't easy to do. It's not. This very morning, I struggled with this. I came in, and it had been a crazy night last night. Amen, right? A little bit of a crazy night? Yeah. Crazy night in the shelter last night here in this space. And I just found myself just wanting to buzz around and take care of things and take care of things and take care of things. And I knew that there was someone in the space who was hurting and who needed my attention. And I found myself going, yeah, but I gotta go do this. I gotta take care of this. I gotta take care of this. And this person was on the other side of the room. And I knew in my spirit that this person just needed some time with me. And my, I found myself going, yeah, but I have more important things to do. And then I remembered that I was gonna preach this. <laughs> I stopped, and I just went over, and I knelt down. I actually sat down on the floor, and I just spent some time with this person who was hurting. And this person just said, I just want you to pray for me. I'm hurting, my body and my mind, and I just don't know if I can take it anymore. And I just spent a few moments with this person, and they went about getting ready to leave the shelter and went about the rest of the morning. I say it's difficult to do this because we want to. I think we want to stop. We want to to pay attention to what the Spirit is telling us to do. But so often, our own ego, our own sense of importance can get in the way. Our, our, Our sense of the importance of our schedule can get in the way. So I want to encourage us to get the practice of stopping. The practice listening, of working with the Spirit within each one of us. To find ourselves much more often asking, what can I do for you? I want to take some time.
right now in this space to do just that. I want to encourage us to take some time to, to meditate on this question. Maybe this morning uh, you need to hear the voice of God asking you, what can I do for you? Or maybe you're in a position of saying, God, I want to be open to that. Show me. Show me the places where I can ask that question. What can I do for you? Let's just take some time. I invite you to have a posture of, of just being in silence and contemplation. Let's take a few moments and I'll bring us back and close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example that you give us, showing us how to be in tune with the Spirit, the Spirit that says, stop, pay attention. The Spirit that led you to ask, what can I do for you? I pray that you would continue to move in us, continue to call us to stop, Pay attention to your spirit, to let that spirit continue to move us to ask how we can be your hands and feet, how we can love others the way that you did. Thank you for showing us how and thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy when we, when we mess it up, when we are the Bumblehead Brothers. Thank you for forgiving us for those times and continuing to call us to be renewed in you, to be led by you. Help us to practice doing just that. I pray all of this in Jesus' name and by the power of that Holy Spirit. Amen.